Salvation Now podcast, where you'll discover and be equipped with keys from the Word of God that will pave the way to God's unlimited blessing in your life. Now, here's your host, Evangelist T.J. Malkanji. Today is going to be a stacked broadcast. I entitled today's message, The Names of God, Discovering the Names of God. Now, I'm not going to go into detail, like like an exhaustive study on each name, because that would require like 20 consecutive weeks to go in and do all that. But I'm gonna, we're going to touch on each name and what that name reveals about God's nature and His willingness to do things for you. And uh, so if you could just take a moment and share this broadcast, get this out to as many people as possible. Help me with um, reaching more people. We need to reach more people. We need to get this message of the cross, of the gospel. You know, this week is the Passion Week. It's the week, the seven days prior to Christ's um, Christ's uh, resurrection, Christ's crucifixion, Christ's burial, Christ's resurrection. What literally is the epicenter of this message of the bible it is the 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 climax of the events of god on the earth it is the the resurrection was the the uh, the greatest display and manifestation of god's power on the earth and so this week is a good week to share a broadcast to let people know that easter is not about an easter bunny it's not about going and finding chocolates it is not about just visiting family and getting around a lamb and eating. Easter is the proclamation of God's love for mankind. It is the proclamation and declaration that Jesus Christ is the substitutionary person of our sins that he took upon himself sin in his body that we would no longer live in bondage or in fear to sin and death, but we can be set free. And so now's a good time to share the broadcast. I'm going to get in it. I want to start off by reading Matthew 21 because I just said Easter's coming up this Sunday. Last Sunday, they call it Palm Sunday. This is the Sunday that Jesus came into Jerusalem. This is the, the day Jesus came in on a lowly, uh, in a, like a, on, on a donkey as a humbled king into Jerusalem. And so let's read about it now. 21, Matthew 21, verse 1. Now when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethphage at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples saying to them, go into the village opposite you and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Loose them and bring them to me. And if anyone says to you, you shall say, if anyone says anything to you, you shall say the Lord has need of them and immediately he will send them. And this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet Isaiah saying, tell the daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming to you lowly and sitting on a, on a donkey, a colt, the full of a donkey. So the disciples went and did as Jesus commanded them and they brought the donkey and the colt laid their clothes on them and set him on them and a very great multitude spread their clothes on the road others cut down branches from the trees and uh, spread them on the road and the multitudes who went out before and those who followed after cried out saying listen to this verse 9 hosanna to the son of david blessed is he who comes in the name of the lord hosanna in the highest and when he had come into jerusalem all the city was moved saying who is this and the multitude said this is jesus the prophet 
of uh, from Na the prophet from Nazareth of Galilee. I want you to notice that when Jesus came into Jerusalem, we just celebrated Palm Sunday. What happened that day? That was the day Jesus entered in. He was ushered in to Jerusalem on a donkey and people began to cut off branches from trees nearby and like wave them and put them on the ground almost to like provide a carpet for him to walk through. And the Bible says they began to cry out Hosanna to the highest. Hosanna, the name Hosanna means God saves in its simplicity. It means God is our salvation. They knew, they called him Hosanna because they understood that this was our salvation. This man did not just represent a prophet. This man represented our salvation. Names have meanings. Names are not identity tags that we just tag on to identify and refer to certain people. It's not something, it's not a, a, a title that we have so that when people want to refer to you, that's the name that we, you know, that's the name we use. That's not the way God sees names. If you study the Old Testament and you study the New Testament, you're going to find out God places a great premium on names. He places high value on names. Not only the names he gives others, but the names by which he reveals himself. He didn't just call himself by certain names just because he liked the sound, the phonetical sound of those names. He revealed himself by certain names to reveal his character and his nature and what he is willing to do for mankind. When they were calling Hosanna, they understood this is the prophetic fulfillment of what we've been waiting for. If you turn to Psalm 118, listen to this. David understood the value of names. Psalm 118. Psalm 118 and verse 5, I called on the Lord in distress. The Lord answered me and set me in a broad place. I'm going to stop there. If you're in distress today, if you've hit a wall, if you have, have, have encountered insurmountable odds, if you have, are faced with a problem today, that in the natural, there's no way out. In the natural, there's no point in hoping. In the natural, you might as well just drop your hands, give up, and quit. I want to encourage you today that as you study, as I begin to expound on these names, set your faith for expectation that God didn't just call himself Jehovah Nisi, the God my banner, just so that we can put our hope in him, but ultimately he He's not ready to fulfill what he called himself by. No, whatever name God has given himself, you can understand today. I want you to set your faith already and expectation that God didn't just call himself Jehovah El Shaddai, the all-sufficient God. Jehovah Shammah, the God who is the ever-present help in time of trouble. Just to get you to have your hopes up, but ultimately he's not, he's not of much help today. No, he he is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. And whatever you're facing today, he's still the mountain mover. He's still the resurrection and the life. He is still the bread of life. He is still the joy of our salvation. He is still the burden lifter. He is still the chain breaker. He is still the one who can reverse the irreversible and set you on a path that goes upward and higher even unto that perfect day. God 
God is the God of turnaround. God is the God who can turn the tide for you today. He is the God who in Lazarus, who is not just dead, four days dead, de he had already um, experienced decadence. His body was decaying. And yet when Jesus arrived at the scene, just one command, Lazarus come forth. He called him by his name. The moment his name came forth, the moment the command of faith was ushered into Lazarus's tomb, that death could not keep him bound. That death, death could not keep him oppressed. Death couldn't keep him in that grave, uh, uh, locked by that tombstone. The moment Jesus gave the command, death lost its hold on him. And I tell you, whatever has the, the enemy has gripped your life with, whether it be poverty, whether it be condemnation, whether it be suffering, un, like, unbreakable guilt whether it be sickness in your body I tell you that same Jesus that called Lazarus's name forth and death lost his hold of him is calling your name today to break free from the things that have held you down if death could not hold Jesus down and we are no longer alive it's Christ that now lives in us if death couldn't hold Christ down then greater is he that lives in me and anything trying to hold me down breaks today anything trying Trying to suppress me falls off me today as a bird that flies away from a snare I am breaking free from the snares of the devil I am leaving I'm not leaving this broadcast the same way I entered in in the mighty name of Jesus Christ because God has already said he is Hosanna he is my salvation and as such if God's the one who fights my battle, who can get in my way? Who can prevent me? Who can hinder me? If the Lord is for me, what can come against me and wipe me out? So set your faith. Just like those two blind men, they cried out, Jesus, son of David. Pretty similar to Matthew 21. Hosanna, son of David. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on us. Jesus kept on walking. The crowd started to quiet them down, but they didn't give up. You got to get desperate today. You got to realize it doesn't matter what man thinks of me because man's not the source of my solution. It doesn't matter what man thinks of me because man's not the source of my breakthrough. It doesn't matter what man thinks of me because man is not the source of my healing. Man can't do anything for me. The help of man is useless. Curse is the man who puts his trust in man. Therefore, it doesn't matter if I look crazy to others. It doesn't matter if I look a little besides myself to others. Ultimately, when I was in the lowest pit, man couldn't lift me up, but what man could not do, God did with ease because he loves me and has mercy on me. So those two men, they continue to cry out, Jesus, son of David. They tried to quiet him down, but I'm sure they had that attitude. What do you mean telling me to quiet down? What have you ever done for me? What do you mean quieting me down? What do you mean you want to you wanna lower my praise voltage you want to lower my, my my dedication to God what can you possibly perform for me so they got even louder they cried out all the more and the Bible says Jesus stood in his tracks and he said bring them to me when they arrived Jesus asked what do you want me to do for you today the names of God reveal what God is wanting to do for you today and we're going to get in them in, in 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 more depth but I want you to set your faith as I go into them as I dive deeper into the different different compound names of Jehovah. Don't just listen to be informed. Listen to be transformed. Don't just listen to be to receive a lecture. These are not lectures. These are not teachings. These are not just I'm not trying to give you doctrine so you can have uh you know you, you can explain your faith to others. No, this is 
It's more than that. God wants to do something in you by his word, and then he'll begin to do things through you by his word. When we do these broadcasts, these are days of, sal- of salvation. These are days of deliverance. These are days of being set free, of, of, of supernatural liberation. The spirit, Isaiah 61, the spirit of the Lord God is upon me, for he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He's not anointed me to give you comfort in your storm. He's not anointed me to give you a little bread while you live and die in that ditch that Satan would love to have you bound by the rest of your life. God didn't anoint me to just encourage you so you can get by life's storms and struggles. God has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor, to to release them that are in captivity, to set free those who are oppressed, to proclaim the favorable year of our God. Today is the day of God's favor. People are always saying, well, coronavirus 2020, was that God's wrath? That ain't God's wrath. You'll know when, well, you won't be here, hopefully. You'll, You'll take the first boat out in the rapture. But when the wrath of God hits this earth, the people on the earth are not going to scratch their head and find out and and try and find out if this is the wrath of God. They will know when the vials of wrath are poured out in the book of Revelation. People aren't wondering, is this God or not? No, they know it's God. But that's not the day we're in yet. Understand dispensations. Understand that we're in the dispensation of grace. The day of God's mercy. The day where the ark door is still open ready to receive people. God is not out to get you. God is out to bless you. God's not out to break you down. God is out to build you up. God is not the crusher and suppressor. Satan is the accuser. Satan is the adversary. Satan is the thief that comes not but to steal, kill, and destroy. The lion that prowls around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. But I pray your name is going to be added to the list today of those he cannot devour because of your encounter with God's truth today in the name of Jesus Christ. In the name of Jesus Jesus Christ. Listen to this, Psalm 118. I called on the Lord in my distress, and the Lord answered me. Not the Lord pushed me away. Not the Lord said, just trust my time. The Lord answered me. The Lord answered me. He set me in a broad place. Notice how he didn't put me in a bigger, in a a more uh, tight corner. He set me in a broad place, meaning he brought me out. He took me out of the miry clay. He set my feet on a rock to stay. God doesn't take you out of bad places to put you in worse places to show you that he needs to discipline you. No, the story of the Bible is people being cut up in a tight corner, not having a way out, not being able to look around anymore, only able to look up. And when they looked up to God, God saved them. God delivered them and God answered them. He said, call unto me, call unto me and call me by my names that I'm going to go into today. Call me by my name and I will answer you and show you great and mighty things which you know which you've never seen the Lord is on my side verse 6 I will not fear what can man do to me the Lord is for me amongst those who help me therefore I will see my desire on all those that hate me it is better to put your trust in the Lord than to put your confidence in man it is better to trust in the Lord than to put your confidence in princes all the nations I want you to tune into this one all the nations surrounded me but in the name of the lord i will destroy them they surrounded me yes they surrounded me but in the name of the lord the name of god is not just a four it's not a four-leaf clover that we decide to just 
let loose when we're in problems and perils. The name of God is a powerful force when it is built up in your spirit with understanding. Just saying God's names that we're going to get in today is not, the, is not what's going to bring deliverance. You, that's why we do these broadcasts. It's to put in you sufficient revelation and insight from the word of God of what those names mean, what they've meant to people in times past, and what they mean to you today. Now, we don't have to just, you know, people use the name of Jesus like it's some like rabbit's foot or some lucky charm in the name of Jesus 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 that's not going to do any it's not the amount of times you mention that name remember in Philippians 2 the Bible says that God has has bestowed on Jesus a name that is higher than any other name an authority inherent within that name that is higher than any other name that at the mention not at the pleading you don't have to plead the name of Jesus just at the mention of the name of Jesus Jesus, every knee in heaven, that name holds authority in heaven, every knee on earth, that name holds authority here on earth, that's why people that tell you, well how many of you are the deliverances in the next life, no, because Jesus didn't give us his name to use when we get to heaven, Jesus gave us his name to use while we're here on the earth, and at the mention of that name, every knee should bow, every knee of, of cartilage degeneration, every knee, of sickness, of cancer, of diabetes, every knee of financial turmoil and lack, every knee that Satan, every agent of Satan that he would try to position around your life to make life hard for you, every one of those knees has to bow at the mention of the name of Jesus Christ. All the nations surrounded me, but in the name of the Lord, I will destroy them. They surrounded me like bees. They were quenched like a fire of thorns, like bees. It suggests that people, his adversaries, it wasn't just one here, one there. He was being swamped, overwhelmed. If you're feeling overwhelmed today, you just have to call on that name. And the same God who honored David in times past and brought him out into a broad place, he will honor your faith today in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. You pushed me violently that I might fall, but the Lord helped me. God's going to be your helper today. God's going to prove to you today that he is your helper. And besides him, there is no other. What are the names of Jesus, of, of the, the names of God? What, how has God revealed himself in scripture? Number one, I want to read Exodus chapter three. The first name that God revealed himself by. If you're just tuning in now, you'd encourage me if you share the broadcast. Exodus chapter three, listen to this. So Moses sees the burning bush and he starts talking to God. God tells him, I'm now hearing the oppression of my people in Egypt and I've come down to deliver them. Move on and skip forward to verse 9. Now therefore, behold, the cry of the children of Israel has come to me and I've seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. And come now, Moses, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. And Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and that I should bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? And God said, I will certainly be with you. And this shall be a sign to you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. And Moses said to God, indeed, when I come to the children of Israel and they say to me, the God of your fathers has sent sent me to you. And they say to me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. 
And thus shall you say to the children of Israel, I am has sent me to you. I am who I am. The first name that we're going to go through today is the name of Jehovah. The I am that I am. He is the one who is. The Bible, another way to translate Jehovah or um, Yahweh, the Hebrew form or derivative of that name, the, the original name, the original form of that name is to be. God is. God is. All other makeovers of who God is, it doesn't matter. It's irrelevant. God is literally saying, I am what I will be, and I will be what I will be. He is not open to modifications. He's not open to renovations. Who God is, is who God shall be, and shall be forever. He is the everlasting God, the one who is eternally present. Remember, we are confined to time, space, and, uh, and we're confined to those things. And as a result, we can understand to the fullness of what infinity represents or what et e eternity really is. We have eternity in our hearts and that we understand eternity is real. Eternity is a real thing, but we don't understand all the, the aspects of eternity. But God, who is the eternal one, doesn't change. What to him, when he encountered Moses in Exodus 3 and today, 2021, it's not, it's not 6,000 or 7,000 years that have taken place. To him, it's like it's an everlasting present. And as such, the Bible says in the book of Psalms, we are like men. We soon grow old. We change. And our years are no longer. We're like a cloak that is folded up and done away with. But God said, my years are the same and my years have no end. One day, the Bible says, in the Lord is like a thousand years on this earth. So to us, it seems like whatever, how long you want this earth to, you know, people have different views as how long the earth has existed and stuff. But if you have a 6,000 year viewpoint, 6,000 years sounds like a long time to us. But to God, it's like six days in his sight. He is the I am that I am. All other existence depends on his uncaused existence. That's another thing God was really... Look, the reason why Moses asked God, what's your name, is because he understood. I can't just go and say I'm the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Because everybody before Moses understood God to be the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But when God said, I'm the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, he was revealing himself to be the God of your ancestors. But Moses was like, if I show up and say that, they're not going to... I don't have special revelation of who you are. They're not going to take me as a prophet. So what is your name? How can I know you? What is a revelation of your nature that if I present myself before the Hebrews, they're going to know, man, you know, th this guy's just not some other dude. This, guy, this guy's had an encounter with God. And he said, you shall declare me to be the I am that I am. So Moses understood that I can't go empty-handed. I want to know, I mean, when you remember when he was on the mountain and praying to God and the Lord was about to leave and he said, hey, hey, don't leave me. I want to see your glory. Moses had a, a, an innate craving to, to know more about God and that led him to this revelation of God's name, Jehovah. Jehovah means the self-sufficient God. The self, the one who is not dependent on an, upon another. The one who doesn't need another's help. The one who doesn't have to ask for permission from anyone else to do a thing. 
He is Jehovah, the I am that I am. Though we can't see God, he is. Just like, well, that's where people, atheists, have a problem. When we can't see him, there's no way to like put him on paper. There's no way to, you know, mathematically come to an equation, equation that would prove God. But just like gravity can't be seen, but its effects can be felt. The I am can't be seen throughout history with physical eyes, but his effects can be felt. You see it in transforms, transformed lives. You see it in... in People's healings, miracles of healing and miracles uh, in general. You see God's effect in society throughout the years. The, God's, the Bible says that God is the one who makes wars to cease in the ends of the earth. You see the effect of God. He, he has always been, he is the alpha and the omega. He's the beginning and the end. He's the first and the last. He's the I am that I am. Jehovah. So he, he's not open to change. The Bible says, I am the Lord your God who changes not. People say, well, you know, God doesn't do miracles any longer. God doesn't do, it doesn't heal like he used to heal and it's because he's changed. No. He didn't say it. You know, uh, uh, Moses, I want you to go and reveal your, reveal me by the name of the I am right now, but I will not be tomorrow. He said, I am that I am. He didn't say, go and reveal me to the people as, as the, the one who was and the one who is, but the one who's open to change. In the, no, I am. He's not, he's the great I am, not the great I was, and not even, you know, you have two, two types of people in Christianity, or well, three. You have those who believe God was something but has changed. You have those who believe God will be something to us in the future. He'll heal us when we die and go to heaven. And then you have the people like me who believe that God is, and he, he is what he was, and he is what he'll be tomorrow, and he'll continue, he's not, he's not open to change. He, he's not the I was your healer. He is the I am your healer. He's not the I will be your deliverer. He is the I am your deliverer. Jehovah. Number two, one of my favorites is El Elyon. Jehovah El Elyon. The Lord who is the most high God. Elyon means the highest. The most high God. The Bible says that there, thou, O Lord, are high above all other gods, and there is none like you. He is not a God amongst gods. He's not one of our, the buffet of gods, and you can pick and choose. No, he is the most high God. There's none that are above him. The Bible says, heaven is his throne, the earth is his footstool. Psalm 46 says that, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted above the nations. I will be exalted above all the earth. Where do we see El Elyon in scriptures? Genesis chapter 14. Listen to this. Then Melchizedek. So Abraham just went out to war with 318 men to fight against the kings of Sodom. 
uh, to fight against the four kings that had come against Sodom. And Abraham, with 318 men, ends up gaining a great victory for God that day against armies, against multiple armies. Abraham, because of the hand of favor on his life, ends up uh, securing victory because the king of Sodom had pretty much like reached out to him. He had no help. So Abraham comes out and gets, gets the victory. Listen to this. Then Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out the bread and wine. He was the priest of God Most High. And he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abram of God Most High. That's the first time you see El Elyon in the scriptures. The name El Elyon in the scriptures. Well, which Melchizedek was a type and shadow of Jesus Christ. Some people believe that he was Christ in the flesh before uh, he was like a pre-incarnate Christ. That he was like a, a, a revelation of Christ before Christ. Blessed be Abram of God Most High, possessor of heaven and earth. And blessed be God Most High, who has delivered you, uh, your enemies, into your hands. So why was Melchizedek referring to God as God Most High? Because he was the only one who was able to deliver Abraham's enemies into his hand. Why is he the God? Why can we say he is the God most high? Because A, he's the only one who can protect. He's the only one who can secure you. He's the only one who can defend you. And then B, he's the only one who can, who can deliver. He's the only one who can defeat. He's the only one who can bring and secure victory for you. He is the... So before you can understand El Elyon, you have to understand El, the El part first. El means Elohim. Elohim literally means the God who is worthy to be worshipped. The God who is worthy to be revered and to be exalted. Elohim, Elyon. So you combine the two names together and you have the most, the God who is the most high, he is the only one to be, who is worthy to be worshipped. The God who is the most high is the only one who is worthy to be worshipped. What? So you have to understand what worship is. If you're going to serve El Elyon, the God who is worthy to be worshipped as the most high, what is worship? Because there's a lot of people and a lot that worship things and objects and other people that aren't El Elyon. That's called idolatry. The Bible says in Exodus 20, thou shalt have no other God before me. He is the most high God and you should not put any, you should not worship any other God before me. Well, how do people worship things? You worship things with your time. You can worship things with your energy. You can worship things with your, when you love something and you can't consider something to be worthy, you're, it's worthy of your time. You're ready to invest time into it. You're ready to invest minutes into it. You're ready to, to spend, you know, time is a, uh, a commodity that is very limited. Time is not unlimited. We are very limited. It's a scarce resource. We don't have it. You can have all the money in the world. Bill Gates has just as much time as you have in a day. So where you direct your time is a, uh, a sign of what you worship. Energy, where you invest energy. So not just, you can put time into something, but not... You know, you're just there. You're just present. But when you're there and you're invested into it, whatever your hand finds to do, doing it with all your might, that's a form of worship. 
I don't just go to church. I, I, I am the church. I volunteer at church. I do whatever I can do to help advance the church because I worship God. Three, you worship something through your finances. Wherever you put your money in, that's something that you have attributed worth it. Worship is just attributing worth to something. So when you attribute worth to something, you're more likely to put, not more likely, you will attribute or you will connect your finances to that thing. When I wanted to marry my wife, I did not get her a ring pop in a, uh, uh, um, you know, from Walmart. I didn't go to Sears and buy her some like cubic zirconium ring. I invest, I sold my vehicle that I had to get enough money to buy a ring to give her because I attributed worth to my wife. I don't worship my wife, obviously, but I attributed worth to it. When you attribute worth to something, you will invest your finances in that thing. Tithing and people that complain about tithing and offering. have never had a revelation of what it means to love God. Because if you have a hard time giving God 10%, these people that say, well, tithing is not a New Testament concept. That right, right now, we're supposed to give out of love. Do you even know what you're saying? Tithing is like the basic entry-level thing that God has given us to do to make sure that money never gets into our heart and that God is always the one seated on the throne of our heart. But if you want to go that way and say, well, no, we're not giving time. We just give out of love. Love gives more, way more than 10%. Love gives abundantly towards the thing that it loves. Love gives stupidly without even thinking. I sold that car and then realized I don't have a place to go. I don't have a, place, I don't have a vehicle to get me to the places I want to go now. Love doesn't even think. Love gives lavishly. How do we know that? God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Love gives recklessly towards the thing that it, that it loves. So when you worship something, you'll give financially. And then when you worship something, your zeal will be directed towards that thing. You're never going to stop thinking about that thing. So when you worship El Elyon, the God who is the most high, who is worthy to be worshipped, you, you understand now. Because he's the most high, my time, I'm prioritizing him because he's the most high. What you prioritize is a revelation of what you worship. If you don't prioritize God, you're not going to make it a point to be in church on Sunday morning. You're not going to make it a point to set aside your tithe and offering before you spend anything on anything else. If you don't make, if God is not the most high in your life, God is the most high by default, but he needs to become the most high in your life if there's going to be any fruit for you, if there's going to be any results for you. God is God whether you serve him or not. But when you start to put God first, you're going to see God will put you first in everything that he does. And your life will look drastically different from anyone else's life. So casual Christianity will not cut it. People love, it doesn't matter how much you say God is most high. If you live as though he's the most low. As if he's like at the lowest point of priority in your life. Casual Christianity has created liabilities in the body of Christ rather than assets. 
People come into church late casually. People chew gum throughout worship casually. People just, you know, they treat God casually. And in their heart, they despise him by doing that. Because they're setting him at a level that he is not at. And what happens as a result? You end up getting casual blessings. Uncommon devotion to God will produce uncommon blessing in your life. And that uncommon devotion is not a feeling you have when you feel like serving God some days and other days. You, that uncommon devotion is going to come on you when you make a decision. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. It doesn't matter if I feel like going to church today. It doesn't matter if I feel like telling people about Jesus today. It doesn't matter what I feel like doing. My feelings take a back seat in my life. Christ reigns supreme in me. And you'll never live like this until you return to that first love. There's some of you watching right now, you're like reminiscing of a time when you used to live like this. Where God was your number one priority. When the first thought in, your, in the morning was God. And the last thought in the evening was God. And you've detached yourself from that. You've distanced yourself. I don't know what happened. Maybe it was a tragedy. Maybe it was something, an event that caused you to like lose trust in God. And as such, you still believe in God. You're still saved. But you're not on fire. That zeal has left you. Jesus, zeal for the house of God, Jesus said, has consumed me. That zeal has to return to the body of Christ today. Revelations 2, Ephesus, I know your works. I know you still go to church. You don't even tolerate false apostles, but you've proven and tested them and found them to be false, and you've booted them out. And you, you, you've been faithful to me in areas, in certain areas that others are not. But Jesus goes on to say, but you have departed from your first love. You've left your first love. You're just running through the motions now. You've left that first love. And he said, remember the place from which you have fallen. Repent and do the deeds. You did it first. So there's a, a like a three-part uh, action that you have to take. Three parts to play in order, in, re in order that you return, in order for you to return to that first love. Number one, remember from where you've fallen. Remember how you used to be zeal, zealous for the Lord in soul winning. Remember how you used to read your Bible. It was an exciting thing to open up and crack open that Bible and read. Remember the fire you used to carry for God. That when people said, do you really have to go to church all those days? It was a, it's not Christmas. It's not Easter. And you, you were like David. I was glad when they said, let us return and go to the house of God. Remember from where you've fallen. One. But remembering's not enough. That's where people stop. I remember I used to serve God. So I used to be on fire just like you. But, you know, over time, I just, my love for God matured into something deeper. No, you're lukewarm and cold, and you're at risk of having your, that lampstand removed from your life. Remember from where you have fallen. And then what? Repent. Lord, I'm sorry. I'm not quite like I used to be. But put a fire and a grace in me to return to my first love. Then it tells, it tells you how to do that. Do the deeds you did at first. Do what you used to do, even if you didn't feel like it. Read your Bible. Do like the, I, I suggest people do the five-minute rule. 
You don't feel like reading your Bible? Open your Bible, crack it open for at least five minutes, put a clock on, whatever. I'm not stopping uh, my reading unless until this five minute is, is run up. And you're going to find out that after five minutes, you'll be so lured in and caught in that you'll go 15, 20, 30 minutes, even an hour. Do the five, even if I don't feel like it, I'm opening up my Bible and I'm praying for the next five, I'm reading for the next five minutes. When it comes to prayer, well, I used to pray so long now. It seems, pray, open, open up in prayer and pray for at least five minutes and you'll see something will, ask God to baptize you in a baptism of fire. Ask God to give you the same grace Elijah had and carried for prayer. Ask God to, uh, to release a grace on you to pray. Because there's a grace to pray. And there's people who carry it and people who don't. And it's hard. The Bible says the Spirit Himself helps us in our prayer infirmities when we don't know what we ought to pray nor how we ought to pray. But the Spirit prays through us. Ask God to baptize you in the Holy Ghost so you can pray in the Holy Ghost. And you'll see, when you start doing things, stop bombarding your mind with unreal expectations. Then unless I pray an hour, not even worth praying at all. At all, No, get in and pray. Do the deeds you did at first and you'll see that fire that had dimmed down. Remember, God already said, I will not, br a bruised reed, I will not break. A bruised branch, I'm not gonna break. God's not looking to break you to teach you a lesson. Well, you should have prayed more. No, that's, that's a religious image of who God is. They brought that woman caught in the, in the act of adultery to Jesus. And what were they? They came, religion comes with stones to kill. Jesus came with mercy. He was without, stone, uh, without sin, cast the first stone. They all trickled away. Jesus was the only one standing, the one who, had, who literally could have picked up a stone and killed her. And he said, I don't condemn you. Now go and sin no more. So stop sulking in condemnation. I don't pray like I should. I don't read like I should. I don't. Instead, just read. And do it when you don't feel like doing it. Create a habit, a spiritual discipline of devotion to God. And you'll see that first love is going to quickly return. And it'll exceed that first love. And a fire will begin to grow in you. Where five minutes won't be enough. Twenty minutes won't be enough. Half an hour won't be enough. Soon it'll consume your day. Like David, you'll begin to say, I've rejoiced at his lies. One who's found great treasure. Like Job, you'll begin to say, I have longed for thy word more than my necessary food. I I believe today that first love, that grace to return to that first love is coming into you in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. In the name of Jesus. He's El Elyon, the most high God. So we're going to treat him that way. And you know what the good news is? Because he's the most high God, because he's seated far, Ephesians 1, far above principalities, far above dominions, far above powers. then you know you can have victory over those things. The devil tries to whisper into your ear. God's abandoned you. God's left you. I'm over you. I'm above you. But the Bible says that he is above all things. That all things consist in him. So you don't have to worry about what the devil whispers into your ear. You don't have to worry about what, what the enemy tries to sow into your mind. Some boast in chariots, some boast in horses, but I will make my boast in the Lord. I will magnify the Lord. 
The humble shall hear of it and be glad. Number three, El Shaddai. El Shaddai, another powerful name. Genesis 17. Let me read this. Genesis chapter 17. God says to Abram, when he's 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am El Shaddai, almighty God. Walk before me and be blameless, and I'll make my covenant between me and you, and will multiply you exceedingly. El Shaddai literally means the, uh, the all-sufficient God, the one who's more than enough, the one who's the many-breasted God, signifying, you know, when like a, 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 an animal, like a, a cat has babies, and the, ba- the, the cat will like roll over, and all her nipples are showing, and the cat, there's no lack of, every cat has its own, its own source, its own nipple to, to, to latch onto. God is literally saying, I am, the all, I am the God who is the many-breasted one. Meaning there's no lack. Anyone who comes to me can feed off me. Anyone who comes to me can depend on me. There's no lack in me. He's the all-sufficient God. The God of more than enough. Not the God of just enough. Religion gets you to paint a picture of God. That God is, is like cheap. That almost he has like this basket of blessing and he's just... Here, you have that. Don't, don't grumble for more. That's enough for you. That's not the way. John 6 paints Jesus, who is El Shaddai in the flesh, is given two fish and five bread, loaves of bread in his hand. And what does he do? He multiplies it so that 5,000 men, not counting women and children, which were obviously outnumbering the men. Some people, scholars believe there could have been 25, 30,000 people that Jesus fed that day. Did he give them all just enough for them to snack on? And No, the Bible says they all ate until they were full. And then there were 12 baskets leftovers of fragments that remained. El Shaddai, the God who is more than enough. God, I just pray if you'll just give me this, I'll never bother you. What? Do you think God, wa- Do you think God wants you to pray prayers like that? I'll never bother you again if you just supply this one need. That irritates God. Could you imagine if my kid came up to me and said, Dad, if you can just give me this yogurt, I'll never come near you again. I'll never talk to you again. I'll be out of your sight, out of mine, out of sight. Just this, this one yogurt. What, what kind of image do you have of me, son? That's what I would reply. That I'm like, I'm here for your hardship. And I don't want the best for you. And I don't want you to advance. I don't want progression for your life. I'm here to make things tough. Show you a No. It would grieve me to have my child come and say that to me. Well, God is grieved when you approach him with these miserable prayers. Lord, if you'll just do this one thing, I'll never bother you again. He said, call to me and I'll... The Bible says in Ephesians 3.19, now unto him who's able to do far more abundantly, far more abundantly, get this... pitiable image of God out of your mind and start to see God through the lens of scripture that he's the God that told Abraham when Abraham asked him for a son what did God give him a multitude of nations when that little boy presented his five loaves and two fish what did God give him 12 baskets leftovers of the fragments that remain when Jesus came to the gravesite of Lazarus and they said, we know he'll rise again in the next life. What did God give Mary and Martha? Their brother back to life again. 
Stop limiting God because of your low level of expectation of what he'll do for you. He is the God from whom every good and perfect gift comes down from. He's the God who said, the Lord is mindful of you. He is mindful of those who fear God and he will abundantly bless. The Bible says God will bless you and make you stronger than your enemies and will not permit your cattle to decrease. The Bible says the Lord, when he's your shepherd, he will not allow you to lack in any area. He'll bless you in your coming. He'll bless you in your going. He'll bless you so that your enemies will come Come in one way and do be, de be defeated and be scattered seven ways. The God of more than enough. Satan the accuser tries to tell you you're inadequate. You're insufficient. You'll never make it. But the word of God, when he revealed himself as El Shaddai, and in the New Testament, El Shaddai is not just in the heavens. El Shaddai lives in me. Know ye not that Jesus Christ dwells in you. 1 Corinthians Uh 2 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse 5, I believe it is. Know ye not that Jesus Christ dwells in you. So that El Shaddai, the enemy comes and whispers things into your ear. You'll never make it. You'll never succeed. You'll never progress. This is where you'll camp and die with. This is the, you'll never move on from this place. You're stuck. But then God says, I am El Shaddai. I am more than enough for you to move on to the next level. I'm more than enough for you to get to the other side. I'm more than enough for you to break free from this low place in life to reach the high places that I have for you. I'm more than enough. And if the enemy can get you to confess the whispers and lies he's thrown into your mind, then he's got you. He's got you locked in to that small place. Lester Sumrall used to say, Satan hopes for nothing more than that you'll never discover that you will be as weak as you confess yourself to be. Satan wishes for nothing more than that you'll never discover that you'll be as weak as you confess to be. So if you don't have this image of El Shaddai in your mind, and you have an image of like, you just think of yourself as some wretched, dumb, poor, weak, emaciated, oppressed being. You'll confess that over yourself. And you hear it in churches. How many of you know we're weak, but he's strong. He is strong. But he let the weak say I'm strong by reason of our connection with him. So you confess weakness, the devil will accommodate that confession and bring weakness as quickly as, quickly as you said it. You confess sickness, then you'll, you'll have it. You confess uh, lack, you confess sorrow, you'll have it. You confess your depression, you'll continue to live in that depression. Instead, begin to switch. And your confession reveals your expectation of what God will do for you. So if you're saying, you know, you know, we, we can pray all we want, but God's sovereign and what he wants will get done. Then what's the point of praying if God's sovereign and what he wants will get done? So that confession shows that there's zero expectation in your heart for God to actually do something or the thing you're praying about. And as such, you don't have the capacity to, your expectation 
will actually program your capacity to receive the thing you're praying about from God. There's a, a story of a man who was um, fishing on a pier one, one day and this tourist was like walking by and he saw him every time he would fish and take in like this massive fish, 30 inch or 40 inch, he would throw the fish back into the ocean. But every time he got a fish that was like eight inches or nine inches, he'd take it in and put it in his bucket. And so after a while of watching him and observing him, he, he thought to go up and ask him like, why are you throwing the big fish? Because, you know, normally you take the big fish in and provided more meat, more fish, more food. Why are you taking the, the small fish in, but you're casting the big fish back into the ocean? And the guy replied, because my frying pan is only 10 inches. And that story shows you, is, is a vivid picture, that if your faith is only 10 inches, you'll never receive a 100 inch fish that God wants to put into your bucket. If your mind and your heart is, ex, is set to expect blessings to a certain size, but beyond that, no further, then you'll never see what eye has not seen, what ear has never heard, what has never entered in the heart of, into the heart of men. You limit God by what you confess or your release is unlimited blessing in your life by what you confess. Your confession will program failure or program success into your future. Your confession will either release curses over your life or blessings into your life. Some people, they don't, they're so small-minded they haven't had a, a, a revelation of El Shaddai. Do you know how excessive God is? He sent an, not an angel to come and die for us. He sent his only begotten son, a pure vessel, his own flesh and his own blood to come and die for us. Excessive. And if he didn't spare it, Romans 8.32 says, if he didn't spare Jesus, but delivered him up for us all, will he not freely give us everything else to richly enjoy? The Bible says God is a sun and a shield, and no good thing will he withhold from them that walk uprightly. Number three, El Shaddai. So stop small, planning small. Stop thinking small. Stop planning a small future. The Bible says those whom he did call, he justified. Whom he justified, he did glorify. God didn't call you to smash you. God called you to glorify himself in you. The Bible says in the Old Testament, in Isaiah, prophesying of the redeemed of the Lord in this new covenant age, that the little one would become a small nation and that a small one would become more than a thousand. A little one. So you might have been called, despise not the day of small beginnings, don't let the small beginning or the small state you're at now discourage you from moving forward because he is El Shaddai. Abraham was 99 years old and God had told him 15, 16, 20 years before that, I'm going to make you a multitude of nations. He could have easily have gotten discouraged at his small spot, spot in life and say, man, God's been saying the promises of God look surely very bright for my future, but I'm not seeing anything turn for me. And he could have backed down and cowered it in, in unbelief 
He could have easily have changed his confession, could have got miserable and bitter in his heart. Instead, Abraham continued to believe. He didn't waver in unbelief, and he was fully persuaded that what God had promised, he's able to perform, and now his descendants are more numerous than the sand on the seashore, more numerous than the stars in the sky. And the Bible says, consider Abraham from when I had called him. Consider Sarah, the rock from which you were hewn. And understand, when I found them, they were one. But when I was done with them, how greatly I blessed them and increased them and multiplied them. So don't, don't plan small. You might be small. But carry a picture of success in your mind. Because he's El Shaddai. Number four, Jehovah Jireh, the God who provides. Genesis, you read Genesis 22, God calls Abraham to sacrifice Isaac on an altar. And Abraham didn't withhold Isaac, but he was ready to, to sacrifice Isaac on that altar. And God appeared to Abraham and said, stay thy hand, as he was about to put that knife into his neck. Stay thy hand. Now I know, now I know that you fear God. And that you've not stopped at sacrificing your most prized possession. And now in blessing I shall bless you. And in, in uh, multiplying I shall multiply you. And what happened? When Abraham lifted his eyes, a ram was caught in the thicket. And instead of sacrificing Isaac, he took the ram. The sacrifice that God had provided for, uh, for, for Abraham. He wouldn't have to kill his son. And remember before he had tied Isaac to that Altar, Isaac asked him, behold, here's the wood, there's the cord, but where's the, where's, the, where's the animal? And Abraham replied, Jehovah Jireh, God will provide. Don't put your faith in some stimulus check to get you through in this time. It's $1,400, what is that going to do? Instead, put your faith in the one. Why, is, why can we believe that God is a great provider? Because he owns all the silver and all the gold. He owns the cattle on a thousand hill. And if God provided our most urgent need, which was salvation from sin, will he not provide everything else? Turn to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. These are the words of Jesus. Therefore, verse 25, I say to you, don't worry about your life, what you will eat, what you will drink, nor about your body as to what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor do they reap nor gather into barns. Yet your heavenly father feeds them. Jehovah Jireh feeds them. Nature. You think God cares more about birds than he cares about you? Are you not of much more value than they? And which of you, by worrying, can add one cubit to your stature? So why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field. They neither grow, sorry, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I say to you that not even Solomon in all his glory was arrayed like one of these. Now if God so clothed the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you? Not will he clothe you equally on their... On, uh, equally as they will he not much more clothe you O ye of little faith therefore stop worrying saying what am i going to eat what am i going to drink what am i going to wear after all these things the gentiles seek 
worry about, concern themselves with. But your heavenly Father knows that you have need of these things. But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and everything else that the Gentiles worry after will be added to you. So don't worry about your tomorrow. For tomorrow will worry about its own things sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Jesus is talking to people identifying that one of the things that plagues so people that don't talk about the financial aspect of the bible ministers that ignore the financial aspect of the bible because we're well what if they label us as prosperity preachers what if they label me as some like you know uh as someone that is uh that, that believes in prosperity i would never the the god of the bible is a god of prosperity I'm not saying people don't abuse that. Of course they do. Ministers have taken advantage of that message. They have no care for God and no concern for men. And they've taken advantage of it and abused it to advance their own selves. And they'll stand before God and they'll give an account to God. But that doesn't mean that there isn't a message that God wants to bless you. When God called Abraham, he said, Abraham, walk before me. I will bless you and I will make your name great. And so I shall, you will be a blessing to your generation. Prosperity you know, God doesn't want to just provide to the point where you have your needs met. God wants to blow past your needs and give you an abundance so that you can be a blessing to your generation. The devil wants nothing more than to keep you at a low level financially so that you can't be of much use to others. Money, as much as people want to ignore this truth, money, the Bible says in Ecclesiastes chapter 10, money answers all things. Now, I'm not saying that money, uh, you know, no amount of money can heal you. No amount of money can get you saved. No amount of money can get you the baptism in the Holy Ghost. There are spiritual things money cannot buy. But money answers certain problems. There are places where they don't have clean drinking water. If they had more money, they'd be able to develop irrigate, uh, pipelines and systems to get clean water to the people that would solve their sicknesses, would solve their problems physically. So money does answer. People have this notion that money is like evil. The love of money is the root of all evil. Money itself is not evil. It is a tool. Money in the heart is like a poison that will erode and corrode you. But money in your hand, you can help people. You think it's free to do crusades, to get people saved overseas and in America and everything? No, it takes money. It takes money to, to, to feed people. Jesus said that if you see someone that's hungry, you should give him something to eat. Well, if you don't have anything to eat yourself, how are you going to feed? Unless you have an overflow, how are you going to feed others? Jesus said if someone comes in and, and needs clothing, take the shirt off your own back. If you don't have a shirt on your own back, how are you going to clothe others? The Bible says in Ecclesiastes 9 that there was a great war against a city and a poor man by his wisdom gave the king a strategy to break free from their, their opposition and they ended up being delivered from that war. Then, let me read it. Ecclesiastes 9. Ecclesiastes 9. There was a little city with few men in it, and a great king came against it and besieged it and built great snares around it. Now there was found in it a poor wise man, and he by his wisdom delivered the city. Yet no one remembered the poor man. 
How many times throughout history has the church brought deliverance to a people? How many times has the gospel shaped and shifted societal norms that were oppressive to certain people? Do you understand the very emancipation proclamation that set free the slaves in America came as a result of people seen in the Bible that men, all men, are created equal in God's eyes. So it got, it got the people that were writing legislation, it obviously ticked people off to see people created in God's image being uh, bound to slavery. And so you had certain men that shaped, reshaped the laws of this nation and fought for it to make sure that people had equal rights. That came as a result of the wisdom of the word. But look, we had generations of churches, generations of Christians that taught the next, their, their generation that, if, that money was like sin. That poverty was equal to piety. That you should never desire to advance in wealth because it was unholy. Meanwhile, forgetting that Solomon... If you want to go by that, Solomon is in hell because Solomon was the, the wealthiest king in all history. David's in hell because David, if you calculate the offering he gave for the, that temple that he built, it was greater. It was the, the temple of Solomon, the offering David gave in 1 Chronicles 30 was greater than like $4 billion of today's currency. Abraham was very rich, Genesis 13, 2, in livestock, silver, and gold. So if you want to say that, you know, having money is going to send you to hell, then Abraham's in hell, David's in hell, Solomon's in hell, uh, Jesus, people that say, well, Jesus was not wealthy. Really? He had a treasurer. Judas was his treasurer, and he was stealing from his treasury. And in all this time, nobody even knew that he was taking money out of the treasury. If you have a bank account of $10 and someone takes 50 cents, you're going to know something's wrong. People can, when you have millions of dollars and someone takes $150, $100,000, you, you might not even sense that loss. Judas was able to successfully take from the treasury constantly without anybody knowing except Jesus by the word of knowledge. Then when they crucified him the garment that he had on why do you think they cast lots for it because it was a a, a garment woven in one seam it was a, a seamless garment it was like a, a very prized material and then not only that it was such a, a um an asset they saw it as such an asset such value in that one garment that one piece of clothing that they cut it and divided his garments and cast lots for each garment because if that if one person could just get a hold of a square foot of that garment they can bring it somewhere and sell it for a high price it was like an investment why do you think they cast lots for his clothes it was valuable the bible says in the new testament that you're not to set your heart on riches that's where you get into error but I want to make it clear to you, if you're struggling financially today, you don't have to struggle anymore because God shall supply all your needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. God is not unmoved by your financial needs. He is moved. He is moved. 
by the financial burden you're carrying. You weren't created a beggar. You weren't created a pauper. You weren't created uh, uh, to be a, a needy being. God created Adam and said, be fruitful and multiply. And when you begin to call on that God of Jehovah Jireh, that's when things start to... There was a, a man of God I know, a friend, who preached in Barbados. And uh, he was preaching on the names of God like I'm preaching today. And then at the end, he had them call on, the, on whatever name they had need of in God. Whatever name that represented their need to call on that name. To call on the name of Jehovah Jireh. To call on the name of Jehovah Rapha if they were sick. This lady was present that day who was a prostitute. Had to sell her body just to make ends meet because she had a daughter. And she was behind four months on rent. The next day after that, her... Her landlord came to collect rent, to collect uh, her back. She had, a, she, had a, she had rent that was like backed up three or four months. And he was coming to like collect or evict. And so she began to cry out, Jehovah Jireh, I believe in you, Jehovah Jireh, that you'll make a way financially for me where there's no way. I believe that you'll supply all my needs according to your riches and glory. And what happened? What happened? The next day, when that guy, the landlord came to collect the rent, he walks in, he sees the house, he walks in, and something comes on him to leave. And he says, I'll be back in an hour. Without any, but she wasn't like saying, she wasn't trying to like, you know, make herself out to be a, a, a pity party and garner and move on his sympathy, try and play on his sympathy. He walks in, he leaves, comes back an hour later with a bunch of groceries in his hands and drops it at her feet and says, I'm canceling your debt you owe me for the past four months. You can pay me next month for this month. You don't have to pay me for the previous months. And also, I, here's a bunch of groceries. I, I just felt, you know, he was a Christian. I just felt to, to do this for you. She comes to that crusade the following night and... Um, she goes up to the, my, my friend after he'd preached and says, last night I called on Jehovah Jireh. You'll never believe what happened today and explains the story. My friend said, that was awesome, but the most memorable part of that evening was when she looked to her daughter that was standing next to her and said, you see, now mommy doesn't have to sell herself anymore. Now mommy doesn't have to go out at night to do all those things because God's taking good care of me. God will take good care of you in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. In the name of Jesus. The next name, Jehovah Rapha. If you're sick in your body today, I want to remind you, Exodus 15, 26. I am the Lord your God, the God who healeth thee. They came to the waters of Marah that were bitter waters. They were getting sick and infected. And then God, when Moses began to cry out to him, said, take, there is a wooden tree. Cut down that tree and cast it into the waters. And when he did, the bacteria was cleared out of the water and they became sweet. And they went and drank of the waters and they were sweet. And God said, if you will diligently walk before me and keep my statutes from this day onward, I am Jehovah Rapha, the Lord who healeth thee. He's not changed. He's the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. If you're sick in your body, if you're carrying sickness, physical infirmity, weakness, if maybe you're not sick, but you're weak, 
You're frail. Remember, he's the everlasting God who gives power to them that are weak and strength to them that lack might. Refuse to, to stay sick. Choose healing today. Some people die an early death because they, 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 they fall victim to the thought that this is just another part of life. Sickness is not a part of life just as much as sin is not a part of life. Sickness has no part in your body just as much as sin should have no part in your, your spirit. He bore your sickness. He carried your pains. Refused to tolerate it another day in your life. Psalm 103, bless the Lord, O my soul, forget not all his benefits. He forgives all my sins and he heals all my diseases. All of these names are called redemptive names. That ultimately at redemption, all mankind now has access to, uh, to these redemptive names, to these redemptive benefits in Jehovah. They're called redemptive names. Why? Because in Christ's redemption, these names and the power behind these names and what the, the nature and the essence of what God is trying to convey to humanity by calling himself by these names, now that nature belongs to us. So when he said, I'm Jehovah Rapha in the Old Testament and Jesus died that death on the... Numbers 21, the people of Israel, a plague breaks out and fastens on them and they start to die and these fiery serpents begin to give them fever, and some of them, 23,000, die that very day. And God cries out, uh, Moses cries out to God, and God says, take a bronze serpent and fashion, uh, take a wooden beam, sorry, fashion a bronze serpent on it, and lift it up, and anyone that looks to that bronze serpent shall be healed, shall live. No matter the curse on them, they shall live. The curse will lift off their life, and they will live. Jesus in John 3 said, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so shall I, the Son of Man, be lifted up. That just in the same way they looked to that serpent in the wilderness and the sickness left and their guilt and their sins left and they were healed and they lived on long lives. In the same vein, when you look to Christ and see your sickness on Christ, see the fiery serpent, the fever on Christ, see your tumor on Christ, see that diabetes laid on Christ, see that depression laid on Christ, see that disease laid on Christ, see all that infirmity, that weakness, that pestilence laid on Christ. You will live. You'll, heal, you'll be healed and you will live. Jehovah Rapha. Number six, Jehovah Tzikednu. This is the Lord who is my righteousness. God who is my righteousness. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5.21, He who knew no sin became sin, became sin, that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. The Bible says in 1 John 3.7, We are righteous even as He is righteous. He is Jehovah Tzikenu, the Lord who is our righteousness. It's not us trying to be righteous. We are righteous because of his, that seed of righteousness he's put in us, which is Christ. And that righteousness overflows into righteous living. You can't teach, you can't teach a, 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 an addict to stop smoking up, to stop pumping heroin into his veins. You can't teach them and train them. They, they try all the... You think they want to stay bound by that? They, they don't want to stay bound by that any more than someone wants to stay sick. They're bound by it. 
But Jehovah Tzikednu reveals to you that when you accept Christ into your heart, God who is your righteousness, it's not just I'm positionally righteous, that righteousness, that fruit of righteousness begins to be seen in my life so that the appetite of the flesh begins to leave, the appetite of sin begins to leave, the appetite of carnal nature begins to leave, the flesh, the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are dissension, which are outbursts of wrath, which are sin. But now that we have the seed of righteousness in us, the fruit of that seed is the fruit of a spirit, which is righteousness, which is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness. It's not us teaching people to live right. It's Jehovah Tzikenu, God on the inside, working through you to produce that righteous living in your life. Hebrews 10 says that the blood of goats can never take away sin. Can only cover sin. Jehovah Tzikenu in Christ Jesus not only covered our sin, he took away sin in the flesh and removed the consciousness of sin. We're no, I don't carry consciousness of sin. I'm not sin conscious. I am righteousness conscious because I'm connected to Jehovah Tzikenu. There's too many Christians that are sin conscious. I'm just a sinner saved by grace. I was a sinner. I was saved by grace. I don't call myself a sinner anymore. I call myself by what the Bible calls me. The righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. That's right. On YouTube, Melchizedek is king of righteousness. Literally means king of righteousness. He's the king of our righteousness. I don't identify with my past nature. I, I identify with Christ now. And Christ is righteous, so I am righteous. It's no longer I who lives. Christ lives in me. And now I live for God. Number seven, number six, if you're watching right now and you feel like you're the scum of the earth, that you're dirty and you've done so many things, you could never imagine a God that would accept you. Like that prodigal son, when he left, he, he ended up tasting of sin, ruined his life, and he was sitting and in his pig's pods, eating pig's food. And he said, you know what? I'm going to return to God and perhaps he'll make... I'll return to my father and perhaps he'll make me like one of his hired servants. Hopefully, God will just let me like be around him. I don't need to get all that God wants for me, but at least let me into heaven. And what did the father do when he saw the son? He didn't just come and say, hey... You think you can go out and live like that all these years and come back and expect me to just receive you into my... No, you're going to have to work your way up. No, that's not... That's what religion does. That's what condemnation makes you feel like you ought, you ought to do. What did the, what did the father do? When he saw the, man, the boy from afar off, he ran to him and hugged him and put his face into his shoulder and said, this is into his, into his neck and cried and wept and kissed him and said, this is my son who was dead, but now is alive. And he went and took the white robe and put it on him. That white robe represented a clean slate. Isaiah 119 says, though your sins be like scarlet, you will, I will make them as white as so. Though your sins be as red as crimson, I will make them as white as wool it doesn't matter from where you've come from doesn't matter what you've done doesn't matter what background you have doesn't matter how low uh, 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 how low you've gone 
There is hope for all that are in the land of the living because the Bible says to those that call on his name, he will save them and they shall not be disappointed. The Bible says he's faithful and just not only for, to forgive you, but to cleanse you from all your unrighteousness. The blood of Jesus doesn't just forgive us. It removes sin and cleanses our mind so that we now live lives as though we've never sinned. We are justified by his blood. That's what Jehovah Tzikenu means for you and me. The Lord my righteousness. Number seven, Jehovah Nisi. He is the Lord our banner. He is the sign and the signal of our, our victory. Many times armies would, um, would go into battle and they'd lift a banner. And that banner was either a sign of the God they served or was a banner of the, the, the monarch that they represented. When God revealed himself to be Jehovah Nisa, he was, Nisi, he was saying, whenever you go into battle against anything, raise up my banner. Raise up my banner. So that when the enemy sees my banner, when he sees what represents me, when he sees my logo, he'll remember the beating he took at Calvary and he'll back up for free. Jehovah Nisi, the God who is my banner. You know what it represents? When you go into battle, you're not alone. He's by you. He's with you. He's for you. The Bible says that in Exodus, when they came through the Red Sea, God said, stand still and see to see the salvation of the Lord who fights your battles. Some of you are fighting things God's never called you to fight, but you haven't transferred your battle into God's hands through prayer. Prayer casts your battle into God's hands. And when God assumes your banner, what your battle, when you move out with the banner of Jehovah Nisi, God assumes your battle and he takes responsibility over it and God can't afford to lose a battle. He's never lost a battle and he'll never lose and he won't start with you. So when you march out with that banner, you're announcing to the enemy, I'm not coming to you with sticks and stones. I'm not coming to you with javelin or sword or spear. I'm not coming to you with natural means and methods. I'm coming to you, just like David. I'm not coming to you with sword and javelin. I come to you in the name of the Lord of heaven's armies who fights my battles. And what did God tell Israel? The Egyptians that you see today, you will see no more. And I tell you, that devil that has been running circles around you all these years, messing up your family, screwing around with your children, that devil that has made you to struggle through life all these years, life has been tough up until now, but that's not the way God's called you to live. You're more than a conqueror. You're seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. You're the head and not the, the tail. You're above and not beneath. You are, uh, the Bible says, you are the, the, the redeemed of the Lord. Therefore, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. God's working on your behalf today to turn your story around. God will turn your story around in the name of Jesus. The next time you face with something, announce Jehovah Nisi in when you pray against that thing. Go into that battle with God being your banner, with God being your logo, with God being the sign of your victory. The sign of your conquest. He's our banner over sin. He's our banner over sickness. He's our banner over sorrow, over death. Look at Job. Everybody likes to quote Job. Well, Job, look, he had sorrow. Yeah, look at how the story ended for him. 
God turned that sorrow into joy. God turned his captivity. God restored the captivity of Job and gave him double everything he had ever lost. Number eight, Jehovah Shalom, God who is our peace. God who is our peace. No matter what storm you're facing today, God is your peace. God, the Bible says, if you'll keep your eyes stayed on him, he will be your perfect peace. Jesus said, let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. If you're struggling today with anxiety or panic attacks or sorrow of heart, maybe you're struggling with tormenting fear. God is your peace. But you have to look. They looked unto him and they became radiant, radiant with joy, radiant with peace. And their faces were no longer ashamed. The Bible says in the book of, of Psalms, that great peace have they that love his law and nothing will cause them to stumble. Get it turn, become in love, become addicted to the word of God. And you'll see how that sorrow, you'll see how those feelings of anxiety, those feelings of stress, those feelings of distress, of anguish will soon lift off your life. And overwhelming peace, peace like a river will begin to stream forth from, you, from within. Jehovah Shalom. Let not your heart, my peace, Jesus said, I give to you. So if you're struggling, just call on that name. He's Jehovah Shalom. He's the God who is my peace. He, I belong to the city of peace. I've been redeemed. I've come to Mount Zion. In Mount Zion, the Bible says, their tongues shall be filled with laughter and their hearts with joyful singing. I belong to a people of peace. I belong to a God of peace. I, I have the Prince of Peace in my heart. Number nine, Jehovah Shammah. This is like one of my favorites. The God who is there with you. No matter what you're facing today, God said, I am your helper. He is the dreaded champion. Jeremiah said he's the dreaded champion who stands by you. Therefore, your persecutors shall see him and they shall flee. The Bible says he's the lion of Judah. And when that lion roars by you, all adversary, the Bible says when the God of heaven arises, all your enemies shall be scattered. When God arises beside you, all your enemies are scattered. He's not only with you, He's in you in this new covenant. Jehovah Shammah, He's no longer just with me. He is in me. He dwells in me. I am the temple of the Holy Ghost. Don't you know that Christ dwells in you? And so I know if God dwells by me and dwells in me, what can stand before me and prevent me from moving forward? Every obstacle shall be leveled. Every mountain, mountain shall be flattened. Every op opposition to my destiny shall be removed. He is my, he is my ever... Psalm 46, let me read this. Psalm 46 and verse 1. God is our refuge and our strength, a very present help in time of trouble. Even if your father and your mother abandoned you, God said, I, the Lord, will never abandon you. And I have written, engraved your name on the palm of my hand. On the palm of my hand. And even if your parents abandon you, I, the Lord, will not forsake you. Can a nursing mother abandon her infant? Even if that were possible, God said, I'll never leave your side. Take comfort today in that verified fact. That Jesus said, lo, I am with you always, even to the ends of the age. And God's presence is not just to give you comfort in the storm. Psalm 114, when the sea saw him, it fled. 
When Jordan saw him, it turned back. When the mountains saw him, they skipped like rams. Well, God by your side uh, should illustrate for you that when your adversary sees him, God in you, it has no business to stay. It'll scatter. John Osteen tells a story of a a minister that he was talking to. He was an evangelist, a well-known evangelist. And this man of God had a dream, like a vision in the day, where he was standing in a field. And all of a sudden, he saw the devil marching and running towards him. And the man of God didn't know what to do. He hadn't had a revelation on, on his authority in Christ yet. And so he started to like back up. And all of a sudden, when the enemy came to be about like 30 feet from him, from nowhere, Jesus stood between him and the devil. And Jesus began to back up slowly, backing up one step after another. Until when he got to the man's foot, Jesus' foot merged into his foot. When his hand, Jesus' arm moved back, it merged in. It like fused together with that man's arm. And his body became one with him. And he said, all of a sudden, the devil was like 10 feet from me. Something rose up as Jesus fused in within me. Something rose up within me. And I said, in the name of Jesus, I command you to bow. And that devil fell flat to its face. And he collapsed and ran out. Just fled like a, a skimpy, weak thing. And the Lord showed me in that very moment. That not only is he with me. God is in me. And when the adversary sees you. He now sees me. And as such it strikes fear in him. Jehovah Shammah. You should walk. Constantly reminding yourself in an awareness. That Jehovah Shammah. The God who is with me is no longer just with me. He is in me. And the same, way, the same way devils fleed from him, they flee from me. The same way sickness left when he stepped into a room is the same way sickness leaves when I step into a room. The same way demons scattered at the, at the appearance of him. Remember when Jesus returns, the Antichrist will be consumed by the splendor of his coming. Just the... You know, you watch these superhero uh, movies. Superman coming and fighting off these big, these big villains and working and striving. And it seems at one point Superman's not going to win the battle. But then ultimately at the end of the day, he always pulls through. You see how strong Superman is watching these DC movies and, you know, Spider-Man and whatnot. God doesn't even have to fight. God just has to show up. Jesus didn't have to fight. Jesus just has to show up. And Christ in you, you don't have to fight anymore. You just have to show up with the awareness of Jehovah Shammah. My very present help in time of trouble. And look what it's going to do. Therefore, we will not fear. Fear leaves. Perfect love casteth out all fear. When you understand that God loves you and God wants the best for you and God dwells with you and by you and in you, fear leaves. Boldness comes. Courage comes. Be strong and of good courage. For the Lord your God is with you. Every, God, Lord your God is with you everywhere you go. Though we will not, therefore we will not fear even though the earth be removed, though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea. Meaning if everything looks like haywire around me, 
If everything looks messed up, like things are collapsing around me, I know that I'm going to make it through the mountains, be carried into the midst of the sea, though its waters roar and be troubled, though the mountains shake with its swelling, there is a river whose streams shall make glad the city of God. You know where that river is? Jesus said that river, out of your belly shall flow rivers of living water. Hallelujah. The Holy Ghost in me is that source of strength. That no matter what I face, I can lower my shoulder and I can break through. I'm anointed to break through. I'm anointed to take over. I'm anointed to make it to the next level. I'm anointed to get to where God wants me to be. And then number 10, and I finish with this. And you can't talk about the names of God without talking about the matchless, powerful, wonderful name of Jesus Christ. Now Peter and John went together to the temple. The hour of prayer, the ninth hour, and a certain man lame from his mother's womb was carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called beautiful, to ask alms of those who entered the temple, who seen Peter and John about to go into the temple, asked for alms, and fixing his eyes on him, said, look on us. And he gave them his attention, expecting to receive something from them. And Peter said, silver and gold I don't have, but what I do have. They understood what they had and what they carried in the name of Jesus. Can't just... You know, say the name of Jesus, like I said before, like it's a four-leaf clover or a rabbit's foot or some lucky charm or, you know, something you just say for good luck. Well, in Jesus' name, we'll make it, you know. Almost like a hopeful, wishful thought with the tagline of the name of Jesus. They knew. They understood what that name meant. They understood the power. You know, just like a mosquito can carry bacteria and malaria, the name of Jesus carries the power of God. That when you speak it, it infuses the power of God into your situation or circumstance. Peter said, silver and gold, I don't have. There's not enough gold in the world that's going to cure paralysis in your legs. But such as I do have, give I unto thee in the name of Jesus Christ. The name of Yeshua. Yeshua literally means God of salvation. Yeshua means the God who saves. Yeshua means the Lord who, um, who brings salvation. The man gets healed and then they stand before the Sanhedrin. And what's the first thing the religious world, what's the first thing the devil tried to get the early church to back off of? We command that you'll neither teach nor preach in this name. Why? Because in that name, is healing in that name is deliverance in that name you can cast out devils remember mark 16 said as you go they that believe in me in my name they shall lay hands on the sick and the sick shall recover all of that power is released when you speak that name in faith so the devil tried to get them to back down he didn't he didn't say you guys can't gather anymore he didn't say you guys can't have church. He didn't say, the, 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 the early Sanhedrins, they weren't telling, the Sanhedrin wasn't commanding that they no longer uh, preach the Bible. They just said, don't preach that name. Don't teach that name. Because they knew if they can get them to back off the name, 
then there'd be no power at work. That's why what did they do when they released? were released? They went back to prayer, Acts 4, and they said, Lord, grant that your servants may speak your word with all power while you extend your hand to heal and that signs and wonders are done in the name of your holy servant, Jesus Christ. They said, we cannot but say and speak those things which we have heard and seen in that name because it's through faith in that name that that man that was lame his whole life Receive perfect soundness in the presence of you all. That name. There's no other name by which men must be saved but the name of Jesus Christ. His name is wonderful. His name is powerful. His name signals victory. His name signals conquership. His name signals dominion. His name signals his authority. What is a name? A name represents authority. So when they were saying you can't speak in that name, they were saying you can't speak in that, the authority of that name. Why do you think Jesus said all nations will hate you for my name's sake? It's not because of the letters of Jesus. You know, it's not the letters Jesus that irritates the devil. It's the authority that backs that name. There's some people in Spanish countries, they call themselves Jesus. But you don't, you know, devil doesn't have any problem with them. Devil doesn't have a problem if you just say the name Jesus or the name Jesus. Or the devil begins to shake in his little boots when you start to understand the authority and the power that backs that name. Jesus said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given unto me. And then he said, I'm giving you my name that wherever you go, any command whatsoever you demand in my name, it shall be done for you. Because when you speak that name and you give a command in that name to the devil to back off your children, back off your home, it's as if it, God has given you full legal power of attorney to represent him where you, where you are. That's why Paul was able to say in the name of Jesus, come out of that, come out of that, that girl. And she was delivered of a spirit of divination. No struggle. Why? Because the moment he said the name, it was as if Christ were standing where his two feet stood. And it was as if Christ himself gave the command. You know when you go in the name of someone? If I have to deliver a message to someone, and I say, hey, listen, so-and-so is telling you, that, 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 you know, A, X, Y, and Z. I'm giving a message. I am the messenger. I am representing the one who gave the message. I'm just the messenger. In the same vein, in old days... When they sent out a messenger to a foreign, even if it was an enemy army, to deliver a message, the way that army dealt with the messenger, if they would cut its, his head off, they would treat him poorly. They'd oftentimes, they'd cut the head off and then cause the horse that, they, that you know, carried the messenger to them to return back to the camp from which it came uh, with the head just hanging off. Because the... That, that was like the highest form of offense because the army that sent the messenger realized that's the same way they would have treated the king because the messenger was a delegated authority to deliver a message as though the king himself had entered in to deliver the, the message. So when, when, you know, when, you, when you start to mention that name, it's no longer you delivering the message. When you take a scripture in your mouth, it is written, devil... I am the Lord your God who heals you. So in the name of Jesus, 
The authority of the word and the authority of that name is more than enough to blast the devil off whatever situation you're, 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 feeling, you're, you're, you're facing. Hey, Jack Madoff on Twitter. I'm on Facebook and I'm on YouTube with over a hundred and something people speaking. So if you're on Twitter, that's our, we don't reach anybody on Twitter. It's our least reached platform. So if you want to switch on to YouTube, you can join a bunch of awesome people around the world that are, uh, are joining me. The name of Jesus. There is no name. His name is wonderful. His name is mighty. His name, the Bible says, at the mention of that name, every knee should bow in heaven of things on earth and of things beneath the earth. So I pray right now, whatever has been harassing you, whatever has been tormenting you, whatever distressing spirit has been sent to overwhelm you, whatever impossible situation you're facing today, in the mighty name of Jesus Christ, I I thank you, Father, that you're making a way for them. I thank you that every mountain's being flattened. Every road is, made, is being made straight. Every crooked path made straight. Every rough path smooth. In Jesus' name, I curse the work of sin. I pray, I, have a, I feel a special unction to pray for people that are sick in their body today. As you call, I want you to call on that name, Jehovah Rapha, wherever you're at. Just start to say, Father, I thank you that you're Jehovah Rapha, the God who heals me. And in the name of Jesus, I take authority over that sickness in your body. Hands off. That is a daughter of Abraham. That is a son of Abraham. That is a child of the Most High God. A temple of God. That you said in your word, Father, that anyone that defiles the temple of God, God will destroy. Therefore, whatever is defiling your body right now, in Jesus' name, I release swift destruction of that thing. Cancers, bow out at the mention of that name. Multiple cirrhosis, fibromyalgia. Whatever name of sickness that you're facing today bows out through an encounter with the name that is above every other name the name of Jesus Christ. Be healed in your body. For everyone else watching, if you've never given your life to Jesus, you've never, got, you've never been saved, you've never, Bible says those who call upon that name shall be saved. If you've never called on the name of Jesus, which means salvation, then you're not saved. You need to get saved. Not everyone is a child of God. You're not born a child of God. You're not born by default a child of God. You have to make, you have to choose life. You choose. God has already chosen you. But to be part of the elect, to be part of the beloved, to be part of his kingdom, you have to accept that hand of mercy that's been stretched out towards you. The Bible says very clearly, unless you be born again, you'll never enter the kingdom of God. So I'd love to pray this prayer with you. If you're watching right now and you need to get right with God, prepare to meet your God. Make sure you're right with God. You can know that there's not one sin separating you from a, living, from a holy God. God's not angry at you. God's not turned His hand against you. It's still the day of God's favor. Today's the day of salvation. Now is the time to be saved. Quit trying to go your way. Relinquish your life to God. Surrender your life to Jesus Christ today. And see... How that weariness and heaviness will be lifted off your shoulders and God will give you rest. Father, pray this with me from the depths of your heart. Say, Father, in Jesus' name, 
I turn to you today. I repent of my sin. Forgive me. Wash me white as snow. I believe you raised Christ from the dead. God is now my father. I will live for you all the rest of my days. I'm a new creature. Old things pass away. I'll never be the same. In Jesus' name, amen. Stay connected with us by visiting us on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook by searching at TJ Malkanji. Or visit us online, www.salvationnow.ca. God bless you, and until next time.